So, as you know, during Advent, we've been exploring how all of life is a story. Uh, This is a very unique way of looking at the world. Most religious outlooks have a cyclical view of world history. And what the Bible tells us and what God tells us in His Word is that life in this world is linear. We are in a story that is going somewhere. Uh, So we've been learning a few things about the story that we are a part of during this Advent. First, that this story is unfinished. We're calling this series Unfinished Story for that reason. The story that we are in is unfinished. We are still waiting for the full resolution. The Bible is shockingly honest, we have seen, about the letdowns in life, even as, especially as, followers of Jesus. And so the story is unfinished. But second, we've learned uh, that God's story has one hero, and it's Jesus. We are not the hero of the story. We are supporting roles, to be sure, but we are never the hero. Jesus is the hero of the story. He's the hero of everything in the scriptures and everything in our life. Third thing we've learned is that the future in God's story is better than we can imagine. While this life is going to be full of disappointment, while this life is going to be full of failures, while this life is going to be full of frustrations, of futility, Advent teaches us and reminds us that our final future is better than we can imagine. It gives us hope. How can we know that this future is bright? I mean, how can we have certainty? Well, that uh, is what Paul is seeking out to answer for us this morning. In this text, Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, we'll be looking at this morning. The Apostle Paul reminds the early church and us now today why we can be certain that the story that you and I are in will end well. In fact, he's quoting in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 4, one of the oldest confessions of faith that we have. The early church, the earliest churches, when they were meeting in their own homes, would recite this line, much like we do every single Sunday before the Lord's Supper. You know how we confess our faith before the Lord's Supper? We have a Q&A and we sort of say it out loud. Well, we do that because the earliest church did that. They confessed their faith. And what we have in verses 4 and 5 is one of the earliest confessions of faith. And so when I read this aloud in a second, I would invite you to close your eyes or at least with your mind's eye, imagine an early church gathering, meeting in someone's house in the vast Roman Empire, Reciting these electric words together. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, 
so that we might receive adoption as sons. Lord, would the words of my mouth this morning, would the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm not a huge, huge fan of Christmas shopping unless I'm buying your gift at a bookstore, okay? Uh, Because, you may know this, um, I like books. And so if Christmas shopping uh, means that I get to spend more time than usual in a bookstore, then that's okay. That's okay. I'm down with that. Um, I'm all in. I mean, it's safe to say that if I buy a gift for you, it will be from a bookstore. It will be either a book or a game because you find those things in bookstores. So uh, so that's that's sort of where I have been lately. I've been in bookstores buying gifts. Uh, And this year... I have noticed something. I've noticed something. When I look at the new bestsellers, I am seeing a lot of books in the self-help industry. Just a lot of self-help books. In fact, my wife's book club, she's in a book club, uh, she just finished one with a title I can't really share during the sermon, okay? But it's a self-help book. Um, And it was one of the top-selling books this year. I looked at the top-selling books this year. In 2018, and the number two book, Girl, Wash Your Face, the number seven book, 12 Rules for Life, the number 11 book, Josie's book, and the 14 book, Five Love Languages, that book, Five Love that's still selling. That is an amazing thing, um, if you've read that book. The number 14 book, we're, we're all self-help, and the rest of the books were either presidential whistleblower books, or Diary of a Wimpy Kid, or a keto cookbook, which is probably a self-help book. So... I subscribe to the theory that the best way to gauge a cultural moment is to look at what we're consuming. Podcasts continue to blow up. And to my eyes, the most popular podcast genres are all about life hacks or biohacks. Ways that we can hack our lives for optimization. Which if I wasn't a pastor, I have the perfect name to enter into that market. But I am a pastor. I read recently that the U.S. self-improvement market was worth $9.9 billion in 2016, two years ago. And it is forecast uh, to post five point six average yearly gains from 16 to 2022 when the market for this industry will be worth $13.2 billion. That's significant. That's all I'm saying. That's significant. Something is happening in our secular age. The secular age provides no ultimate meaning or purpose to our lives. It just doesn't. But we all want meaning and purpose. It's like in our DNA. We can't deny it. We can't suppress it. And so what do we do? We reach for advice on optimization in life. How do we get the good life? What can I do to trigger the good life? Is it take a cold shower every morning? Tell me what to do. 
I think we can all agree that good advice is good. But it's not enough. Good advice where we can find it is good. But it isn't going to help your addiction. Good advice where we can find it is good. But it will not remove your depression. Good advice when you can find it is good. But it will not solve the deadlocks in your relationships. Ultimately, good advice can't fill the void you have in your soul. Good advice can't feed the, the, the hunger and the thirst that we all have for heaven, for transcendence, for divine friendship, for peace. I mean, if anything, good advice, good as it is, has the possibility of making matters worse in your life. I mean, good advice will make you depressed and despairing when it doesn't work. Has anybody experienced that? Or how about this? This is my story. Good advice makes you proud and self-absorbed when it does work. I mean, I am the most annoying and intolerable to my wife and my family when I'm super into some kind of life hack. And I let them all know about it. I'm just like a self-absorbed me, 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 me person. And I, and, and I just lean in to this. And it doesn't work. It doesn't quench the thirst. It doesn't fill the vacuum. Good as it is. So, of course, pursue good advice. I just want to argue that it's not ultimate. It can't be. It can't be. And that's why, it's exactly why, I find the message of Christmas so compelling. This phrase is new to me, but it's certainly true. Christmas is good news, not good advice. This is what Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 tell us. Paul says... You can take a look. When the fullness of time had come. He's anchoring the message of Christmas in time, in history. When the fullness of time had come. In other words, Christmas is not a new set of rules. Christmas is something that happened in real history. This means that we either accept it or reject it. But there is no exhausting self-help here. I think most of us wake up to push notifications on your phone. Do you guys wake up to push notifications on your phone? That is Christmas. Let me explain. If there were iPhones in the ancient Near East, everyone would have received on Christmas morning a push notification about a certain birth that changed everything. Christmas is a news, a good news event. Not good advice. But news of what? Well, Scripture in this passage, in this ancient confession, tells us three things. The first thing that it tells us 
is that Christmas is news of incarnation. The second thing it tells us is that Christmas is news of redemption. And the third thing it tells us is that Christmas is news of Adoption, And we're going to take a look at each in turn. So first with incarnation, the first thing this ancient church confession tells us is that Christmas is news about incarnation. But when the fullness of time came, take a look, God sent forth his son born of woman. We'll stop there because this is a stunning paradox. This, it's, this tells of two seemingly impossible things. Jesus is God and yet Jesus is born of woman. I mean, the word that the, that the church uses to describe these two things smashed together, both true, is incarnation, which means enfleshed. Taking on flesh. There's a, a carol, Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. It's a strange lyric to our ears, maybe even offensive to our ears. But in that day, spirituality was thought of as clean and non-physical, not messy. But Christmas tells us a different story. True spirituality is earthy. It's enfleshed. It's God's affirmation of his creation. It's God's affirmation of the body born of a woman. Lo, he abhors not the body. I mean, God is not plugging his nose as he comes on his mission to this world he created. No. No, God sent his son. He was pleased to dwell among us. And my wife likes to point out that in Jesus' Jesus's ministry on earth was bookended with blood. God enters into the messiness of life. Years ago, I was trying to watch as many Alfred Hitchcock movies as I could. And uh, I was intrigued by his approach to, uh, to writing and directing. And it was clear to me that Hitchcock loved his movies. He just loved them. He, he, he put himself into them. And, 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 and as you know, or, or you might know, this man loved to show up in his movies. This man loves his creation so much that he wants to be in it. Some of you might have seen M. Night Shyamalan movies, same thing. And the same is true of God's story. He's directing a story that he himself gladly enters into. That's incarnation. It's not a begrudging move from God. It is his absolute delight and desire and mission. Christmas is news of incarnation. God has entered into our world, which means a few things. Just throwing it out there. God draws near to you and not the other way around. I think it's the first major implication that you ought to wrestle with with the news of incarnation. If incarnation is true, if this confession, this ancient confession is true, then it means something absolutely groundbreaking for your life. And it's this. God dwells and moves and seeks you and not the other way around. 
Religion is man's search for God. Christmas is God's search of man. Hope Church, the church you're sitting in, we would love to be a seeker church. But by that, we mean that God is doing the seeking. He is the great evangelist. He is the pursuer of lost and sick men and women. God enters into the mess of life. We want a tidy God. We want a clean religion. But that's not the good news of Christmas. Christmas tells us that God enters into the mess. The mess of your life. Whatever that is. I mean, just what is the mess of your life right now? Is that hard to conjure up? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think most of us try to push it away. Just, just hear this. Christmas is news that God enters in. Okay? I think another implication that we need to wrestle with about incarnation is that God loves the physical. C.S. Lewis says, don't be more spiritual than God. It's a warning because God gladly enters into his creation. God the Son breathed amniotic fluid. Think about that. Like you. He ate and digested food like you. He experienced every emotion you have. He bled like you do. And when he was raised from death, he did not take off his flesh like a wetsuit. Finally. Did you know that to this very day, he bears the scars of the cross? Ascended to God's right hand. Body. Our Savior has a body. God loves the body and the physical. He stayed fully human. He will forever be that, which is a huge affirmation to this world and to this body. Wendell Berry, poet, farmer, essayist, novelist, just general amazing person. He says, there are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. All of this world is charged with the fingerprints of God. All of this world is charged with God's affirmation. This is mine. I made it. I stand over it. And I stand to redeem it. Of course, we twist and we bend his good creation and his purposes for it. But it doesn't mean it's inherently bad. The news of incarnation ought to be a challenge. God seeks you, and God affirms this world that he made. He stands to redeem it. Which takes us really to the second affirmation, which is redemption. Christmas is news of incarnation. It's also news of redemption. This ancient Christmas confession, it continues. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman. And now listen, tune in. Born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law. So the reason for incarnation, according to this, is our redemption. To redeem those who are under the law. Who is under the law? Who are the those there? We are. Okay, so we are under the law. And the Bible says, left to ourselves under the law, we are like under a crushing rock of judgment. 
because of our sin and our inability to obey this law. Paul says we are cursed if we are under the law. He says this in Galatians 3. If you would look a chapter ahead in verse 10 of chapter 3, you would hear Paul say, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. But enter Jesus. Okay, enter Christmas. This is why Christmas is good news. Jesus comes in, was born under the law, just like us. He was born a Jewish man. He, you know, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He, he learned, he memorized, he obeyed the law, not just the, the basic fundamentals, but he filled the law's obligations until it was overflowing with joy and with gratitude and with the proper motivation. He was the most beautiful human to ever live. God in flesh. Why? To be a good example? So that we could look at Jesus and, and write children's books and say, be like Jesus? No, that's not what Paul says. Paul says he did that to redeem. You know what redeem means? It means rescue. Who gets rescued? Helpless people. redeem us from the curse of the law, Jesus had to do two things. Live the law's demands for us and endure the curse of the law for us. As one preacher puts it, Jesus made our doom his own. That's how we're redeemed. That's how we're rescued. Christmas is news of our rescue. I mean, we can't rescue ourselves. That's where self-help gets absolutely backwards. We can't rescue in the most fundamental and most necessary way ourselves. We need rescued by God. And God, in verse 6, says that He's done that. We are defined by slavery, in verse 6. A slave has no recourse to their own freedom. But we are redeemed by Jesus. Our son, our oldest son, Jude, he right now has the unfortunate um, role of backseat in our RAV4. And I say that because the RAV4 isn't really a family of five vehicle, but we make it that. And uh, what happens is the way that you get into the uh, car is by opening the back gate, the the sort of tailgate of the RAV4. And it swings open. It's not like a a truck tailgate. It's like sort of a hinge tailgate on the right-hand side. And And you get in that way. But then once you crawl into that back seat, there's no way to shut it. There's no handle. So Josie or myself or Henry uh, shuts it. And here's the thing. Wherever we get out, whether it's our house, whether it's the place we're driving, he's sitting there. He can't get out. Really, he can't get out. And I'm I'm not over-spiritualizing it, but when I think about this often, I think this is a picture of salvation. Every single time, this is a classic preacher, right? Joe, what, what else do you think about? But listen... I open that door and I'm like, he can't open that door. Only I can. And that is exactly what is going on in this text. We can't open the door to our salvation. It has to be opened by Jesus because he alone lives the law and he alone was crushed by the law's law's curse in our place. 
Christmas is a rescue story. And finally, Christmas is an adoption story. It's news of an adoption. If you take a look in our text, it says, to redeem those who are under the law so that... we might receive adoption. I don't know if, you've, if you know of the Christian leaders Gabe and Rebecca Lyons, but they recently adopted their daughter, Joy. I think this is an amazing picture that popped up on my Instagram feed recently. Like redeeming Instagram for me. You know, <laughs> Occasionally something happens, I'm like, well, I'm glad I have Instagram because this is, this, is really, this is really beautiful. Rebecca Lyons says, Joy Girl, these are the ones who loved you long before they knew you. Who prayed and hoped and encouraged the sweetest people, ready to embrace you with open arms. Christmas is an adoption story. Before the foundations of the world, God knew you. Did you know that? Did you know Ephesians says that before the foundations of the world, God knew you. And not just in a cognitive baseball card knowledge way, but a personal, loving way. He knew you. And he sent Jesus to rescue you and adopt you. And because you are an adopted son and daughter of God, God has sent His Spirit into your hearts so that you can cry, Abba, Father. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. You are no longer a slave. You are a daughter and therefore an heir through God. Look, good advice is good. It cannot rescue you. In order to adopt you into God's family. A couple of things adoption means for us. Adoption means you can experience your redemption. So far, I don't know about you, but so far, all that I've been saying could be a cognitive thing for you. All mental, all brain, all kind of biblical logic. Okay, yeah, Christmas means incarnation. That's cool. That's a paradox, but yeah, I get it. Uh, okay, Christmas means redemption. Yeah, I get I'm a sinner, and somebody had to pay for my sin and live for my righteousness. I, yeah, that makes sense. I get that. Adoption, though, okay? Adoption is not a cognitive thing. I mean, the imagery here that Paul uses is profoundly visceral. Into your hearts. God sends the spirit of his son. There are two sendings here at Christmas. The first sending is Jesus, God the Son. And the second sending is the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. And the sending of the Spirit goes, goes like straight into your gut, into who you are, your identity. So that you cry out, it says, his cry, Abba, Father. 
relationship. So this is an experience of your redemption. And that is good news. That is really good news. I think this means that adoption means that you have now permission to cry out. And it will not fall on deaf ears. That word cry out in our text, crying, Abba Father, that word is kradzo. Kradzo, which is a Greek word that sounds like what it is. <laughs> it sounds like buzz. You know, buzz is a word that sounds like what it is. Buzz, right? Kradzo! Cry out. This is a cry. This is a scream. It is not a coup. It can be a coup. It's the same word used for Jesus screaming to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, it's a very relational, intimate term. Because it's like when when your kid or your nephew, when they fall and they cry out to you. Daddy, mommy, help. Sometimes their kids are playing in the basement and there is a cry. There's a scream. Okay, that's Kradzo. I mean, that's Kradzo more than just sort of, oh, daddy, papa, you know, that's that's fine. But what really is happening here is a is a ah, father. It's a crying out. Years ago, Russell Moore and his wife Maria decided to adopt two boys from a Russian orphanage. And he describes the worst part of the entire experience as the silence. He writes, the horror wasn't the squalor and the stench, although we were at times stifled the urge to vomit and weep. The horror was the quiet of it all, he says. The place was more silent than a funeral home by night. It was quiet, he writes, because babies stop crying out when nobody answers them. When no one answers their cry. And after spending days with these boys, reading to them, playing with them, they had to leave until the paperwork was processed. And that is when they heard the first sound out of these boys they were about to adopt. And it was a scream. Russell Moore writes, Little Maxim fell back in his crib and let out a guttural yell. It seemed he knew, maybe for the first time, that he would be heard. On some primal level, he knew he had a father and mother now. Sinclair Ferguson calls this Kradzo cry our precious instinct. It's the deepest instinct of a child in need, and Christmas gives you that. A knowledge that you are not alone, that you have a father. Good advice is good, but it doesn't rescue you. It doesn't adopt you. Christmas is not good advice. It's good news. So let me just ask you, as we finish up here, and I want this question to reverberate all week for you, have you responded 
to the news of Christmas. Lord, we ask that you would make us, draw us, seek us, that you would seek us to respond to this news event with faith, with trust, and with abandonment. That we'd see that this is the most important thing in our entire life and always will be. So reorient us this Christmas to the reality of your son and what he did when he came. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.